0: welcome to center ice it is the 20th of february in 2022 the olympics just closed and uh, lots of hockey to talk about from beijing and lots of hockey to talk about here in north america and the nhl of course trade deadline is creeping up lots and lots of playoff races starting to heat up futures need to be decided and let's jump right into it but first gotta bring in my partner mac vincent mac how are you doing today
1: I'm good. All right. So first of all, I think we have to start with what an incredible tournament the Slovakian team had coached by Craig Ramsey. I mean, just incredible. One of those runs that is really one that could be made into a movie. You look at the contributions of the young guy, Yuri Slavkovsky who's vaulted himself into the top five. Patrick Rebar was incredible. He was by far the best goalie in the tournament. I mean, it was just awesome to see. And again, this isn't me knocking Canada, the United States, Finland, Russia, all those teams. It's just nice to see someone different have success. And obviously the Finns won the gold, and that's great for them. But just an incredible run for a very unheralded Slovakia team. Absolutely.
0: As you said, Mac, it is nice to see other teams besides the big three or four in hockey Make a push for the Olympic hardware. And don't forget, the Finnish beat the Russians in the gold medal game, earning their first ever gold medal in hockey at the Olympics, which is quite something as well. So, a lot of countries getting opportunities to perform at hockey that we wouldn't normally see. So, you know, as the old saying goes, Mac, when one door closes, another one opens. And certainly, uh, teams like Slovakia, and Finland that would have never really had well Finland you know they've got a lot of great players in the NHL but teams like Slovakia you know they don't normally get all that NHL talent of course they've got some great players here in the NHL but when you match them up against teams like the United States and Canada it's not quite the same but with a sort of B team for both Canada and the U.S. and among other nations Slovakia sees the opportunity and They played really, really well, earned a bronze medal. And really, Mac, they were really close from getting all the way to the gold medal game. And I'm sure if you ask the players in that room, if they did it again, could they make the gold medal game? I'm sure many of them would say yes, because you and I both watched some of the Slovakian games. And this team was incredible. They were playing good hockey all the way through, very consistent. And it was a lot of fun to watch.
1: Yeah. And I think the big talking point for me with this is the kid Slavkovsky because not only was this many people's first time to see him play at this level, but to me, what really impressed me about this kid was just his drive, his attitude. He makes players around him better. He's a complete two-way player, which you just don't see with players that age. And to me, NHL GMs took notice of this and now you know he may go top three in this draft you look at what he's got the skill the size the speed the two-way game just a tremendous young player with a ton of talent that's only going to get better seven goals to lead all scorers in the tournament is just another thing so an incredible tournament for him and incredible for Slovakia
0: absolutely and uh, you mentioned that he might go top three he was already ranked number two in the NHL's central scouting for international skaters. And I bet that the next updated draft list from other insiders, now that the Olympics have finished, he's going to be easily top 10. And I think you're right. He's definitely going to push for top three. He's pushed his way into the conversation here. I think he's made a very strong case here. Mac. you mentioned he just makes players around him better. And that's such an important skill that NHL GMs are always looking for. In these top prospects. Speaking of Olympic hockey, Mac, we have to touch on the women's game here because you and I, uh, we both stayed up past our bedtimes to watch Canada, USA gold medal game. And as it, uh, it always does, Mac, it never disappoints. It was a really great game. Canada jumped out to a three nothing lead and you and I both, we were t- saying to one another, it's not even close to being over yet because The Americans have so much firepower and they made it a one goal game just a little too late in the third and Canada was able to hold on. But that shouldn't take away from the great game that both teams played and really a lot of legends in the women's game on both sides of the ice.
1: Absolutely. It was an incredible tournament. I absolutely love watching women's hockey to top it all off. You know, occasionally you'll hear some people with blue check marks on Twitter who are old journalists talk about women's hockey in a way that it just shouldn't be. And that's because they just don't watch the games. They don't pay attention. They don't see how much it's grown and how many people care about it. When we were watching, and obviously, yes, we're rooting for Canada because we're Canadian people, but there were watch parties from all over, young women, young girls rooting on Hillary Knight and the Americans and remember, the Americans were shorthanded with the loss of Brianna Decker the whole tournament. So that was a big loss. But 3.54 million viewers, roughly, which made it the second most watched telecast in the U.S. since October 2019. That's hockey, of course. It just goes to show you that it continues to grow and people care about it. And on that subject, how about Abby Rock? The first U.S. Indigenous woman to win a medal at the Beijing Olympic Games with the U.S. hockey team—just another storyline that's incredible—and we haven't even touched on Marie Philippe Poulin and Sarah Nurse. I mean, just so many great stories here.
0: Absolutely, you mentioned Marie Philippe Poulin, and she has scored in all four of the medal game, gold medal games in which she's played in. I don't know about UMAC, but it, and we've talked about a lot of clutch players on this show over the years, who in the Stanley Cup come in and perform. But I think I can make a pretty good case here, Mac, for saying Marie-Philippe Poulin is the most clutch Canadian hockey player, men or women. I think maybe the most clutch player in all of hockey. The stats back it up here, Mac.
1: Oh, for sure. And, and with the Canadian team, how about Sarah Nurse? 18 points to lead the tournament. And all the talk was around Fillier. But I'll tell you what Sarah Nurse was incredible for Canada, and the fact that Canada had eight out of the top ten scores, incredible.
0: Absolutely. And before we move on to other topics here, Mac, I think it's also important to mention that although you and I like to talk about the Canadian women and the and the American women's teams because they're both really, really good, I think it's also important to mention that if you got a chance to watch any of the other women's teams you'll notice how big of a stride so many of these programs are taking. Like I was able to watch some of the Russian women play. I watched some of the Finnish women play and they are just getting better and better. And I I think in maybe not the next Olympics, Mac, but by 2030, 2034, as these programs have gotten more time to produce really good women, hockey players, I think we're going to see a lot more competition on the women's side for that gold medal, because as you know, one of the uh, thing that the blue check marks like to say, the old grumpy journalists, Oh, it's always Canada, U S. They always destroy all the other competition. But as I told my mom, when we were watching some of the hockey, I said, it's important to remember that a lot of these women's programs in Europe and other countries really didn't get their, start until about 10 15 years ago even less so they're only just now starting to bear fruits and uh, i'm really looking forward to seeing some more parity in women's hockey it's great to see the game of hockey growing internationally both men's and especially women's and it's just so great to see really a, a fabulous women's tournament tournament overall
1: all right, so let's move on to some other notes. How about Sidney Crosby scoring goal number 500? Watching the arena in anticipation of that 500th goal was just incredible. And he actually scored another one today. So 501. But on Crosby, you know, 1,372 points, third in active scoring behind Joe Thornton and Alex Ovechkin seventh all-time in points per game rate, but not only that with Crosby, he has become one of the elite two-way players in the game. And remember when he first came up, he was kind of known for uh, diving a little bit. He wasn't a very good defensive player, but he worked really hard at it. And he's become just an incredible two-way player that to me could play for another five, six years easily because of the shape he's in, because of how much he drives the play offensively and defensively. And to me, this is a guy that's going to play his entire career with the Pittsburgh Penguins. It's so rare to see that kind of thing in sports today. So really cool. And again, just, I'm just grateful to have watched a player like Sidney Crosby in my lifetime. I mean, we've all had moments, the golden goal, This 500 goals was pretty special. So just awesome stuff from Sidney Crosby. Congratulations to him. And he's a great mentor for young players in the game today. And there's a reason that a lot of these young Pittsburgh Penguins are having success because they get to see how he operates. They get to see what kind of a leader he is. And he cares about their success, not just his own.
0: Absolutely. You know, Sidney Crosby, the only thing I was hoping he wouldn't do is score that 500 against Ottawa because I got to say, Mac Ottawa's got a bit of a habit of allowing (laughs) these legendary players to score milestone goals against them. And thankfully for me, it didn't happen. But I'm super happy to see Sidney Crosby get 500. And as you mentioned, he could easily play for another five, six years. He's in really good shape. He's really matured into, as you mentioned, one of the best two-way players in the game. I don't watch too, too many Pittsburgh Penguins games. Whenever I do, you just notice how Crosby makes everyone better, how he's really good on both ends of the ice. And, you know, another living legend that we have the privilege of watching in the flesh right now, Mac. And another milestone note to bring up to you, Mac. It hasn't happened yet, but it could happen in the next couple of weeks before we do our next episode. Alex Ovechkin closing in on Nyamira Yager for third overall on the all-time goals list and you and I have been keeping a track on Ovi all year and it's just a matter of time until he gets into that third spot and you and I love Yamari Yager so to see a player like Alex Ovechkin overtake him it's going to be quite the moment when it happens.
1: You know it's funny you talk about Ovechkin in that way and he's kind of like this generation's Yarmar Yager. I mean, he's not the fastest skater, but he's big. He's got a great shot. And obviously, you know, playing into his old age, I don't know if he's going to (laughs) play until Yager does. We shall see. Uh, Yager, you know. Still playing at his age, which is incredible to say the least. Yager is a guy that Ovechkin probably looked at when he was a young player. I can be a big, strong player with a great shot and have great success in this league, but obviously he's learned. Let's move on to the next topic, shall we?
0: Let's get into some discussing some futures here, Mac. I I mentioned it briefly off the top of the show that with the trade deadline coming up and the cap moving and things like that, that teams are going to have to really start thinking about our future, their futures here. And uh, you and I, we want to discuss this a little further, get into a few teams that we think merit some very interesting conversations. And first things first, let's get into a team that we don't talk about nearly as much as I think we should here, Mac, the Boston Bruins. And Boston's a very interesting case this year, Mac, because Normally, when you look at Boston over the past 10, even 15 years now, all you can look at and say they're consistently good. They're consistently making the playoffs. You know that this core is going to produce a lot of gold. They're going to get a lot of wins. They've got consistent goaltending. But you look at them now, Mac, and I think they're consistently inconsistent now. I think age is catching up to a lot of their key players lack of depth is starting the show. And Boston was in Ottawa last night, Mac, and they had to put up a pretty good fight to uh, knock down an Ottawa Senators team that a couple of years ago, they would have absolutely mopped the floor with.
1: Yeah. And you mentioned that age. I mean, in terms of forwards, they're at 28.8 in terms of average age. The defensemen are 26.1. The goalies are 25.5. So, you know, that's a little bit of a concern for Bruins fans, but the thing to remember about the Bruins is despite their inconsistencies and their average year so far they're still a very good defensive team specifically with a guy like Patrice Bergeron and all of their defensemen. So you may not know a lot about guys like Matt Grizzlick or Brandon Carlo or who they have on their back end but these are very good defensemen at suppressing chances and to me it's just the forwards aren't getting it done. I mean Jake DeBrusque is starting to get going a little bit, but you wonder what's going to happen with him. He's an RFA soon to be. This is going to force the Bruins into maybe a little bit of a retool if they want to continue to compete, because right now you have all these late 20s, early 30s players that are declining, that are slow, and aren't impacting the game enough. So if they can get strategical, and Don Sweeney is a very smart general manager. Maybe they can turn things around, but with this group and even with a big trade deadline acquisition, I don't see it. And like you said, they're consistently inconsistent. The biggest thing is I don't think teams fear the Bruins when they play them anymore. They just don't. You've got all these improving teams in the Atlantic division and they've overtaken them. It's plain and simple. We've talked about it for years. It's finally happened. So what's next? I mean, it, that is the million dollar question. And I couldn't tell you because you've got a lot of long-term contracts. You've got an old team that really needs some youth.
0: Absolutely. One bright spot I think we should mention for the Boston Bruins is your is Swayman. He's had a really good year. You and I've touched on him before on the show. And you know, last year he he had a pretty good year, but this year he seems to be molding more into the Goaltender that the Boston Bruins need him to be, that consistent goaltender that you can rely on to be your starter. And he's put up some pretty good numbers this year, you know, a 923 save percentage. And he's made some pretty darn good saves when he's needed to. And I think that's one of the big bright spots for the Boston Bruins here is that you know you've got you've got a good goaltender who's young, who, although yes, he still needs some work, he does have some moments where he's not quite as consistent or he seems a little shaken but overall he's trending in the right direction for the Boston Bruins that is a big piece for them and when you're going into a retool if you're Don Sweeney you know that's a a huge thing that you don't have to worry about knowing that you've got a good goaltender who can be consistent and you can focus on bringing some youth and injecting it into your offense which you desperately need
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it's going to be really interesting to see what happens at the deadline. And I I really do wonder if maybe they just put a few of the older players' names out there. Obviously, there are certain guys that they wouldn't at the trade deadline. But I wonder if maybe they make a few moves like that, or maybe they don't do anything at all. And maybe they're looking forward to the offseason already. But, you know, we're at a point with the Bruins where the product on the ice just isn't good enough. Like you said, they don't have enough depth. They don't have a good second-line center. I think you have Eric Hall playing second-line center, and that's just, he's miscast there. It's simple enough. Certainly a team trending in the wrong direction at this moment.
0: Absolutely. Uh, Boston, it's going to be very interesting, Mac. As you said, you know, the million-dollar question is, where do you go from here? And Boston only has a million dollars in cap space. Uh, You and I both, we agree we were chatting the other night that you know the salary cap is pretty low right now and a lot of teams are finding themselves really close against it so some money needs to be moved some youth needs to be injected and it's going to be very interesting to see what the bruins do over the next year or two but moving on to our next team mac another team that is very interesting a team that made uh, I, i'd say has already made a splash year as the deadline approaches in acquiring tyler to foley is the calgary flames now it, people may be wondering here mac you know why are we talking about the calgary flames as a team that we're interested in their future they they've won 9 in a row they they're cruising right now they're 4 points clear of the second place golden knights in the pacific division you know why are we bringing them up well i think where it gets really interesting mac is the amount of free agents and rfas that you're going to need to sign the one that really uh, speaks to me mac is Idramanji apani he's going to be an RFA this offseason, as well as Matthew Kachuk. Those are your two big pieces. Of course, Johnny Gaudreau also an RFA. Richie, you've got Lewis, guys that aren't quite as important. But those are the big three there, right, Matt? Right now, Mac, you've got Mangiapane, Kachuk, and Gaudreau all needing new contracts. Now, I wouldn't be surprised if they let Johnny Gaudreau walk, but Matthew Kachuk and Andrew Mangiapane, both RFAs, both due for a big pay raise and Calgary really doesn't have the cap space right now, Mac, they've got 120, sorry, $174,000 in cap space right now. So you're not going to be able to sign both those guys with your current cap situation. And it's going to be very, very interesting to see how Tree living approaches this because there's a real opportunity here, Mac, that you could lose one or even both of these two critical pieces to your roster if you don't play this safe
1: and smart. And I think if you look at the moves they made getting to Foley for what they got him for, they realized that. I mean, Bradtree Living understands that he's not going to have that many more chances to potentially make a run at the Stanley Cup. And the Flames are a very good team this year. Daryl Sutter has really put his stamp on them. They're excellent at transition. They have probably the best line in the NHL with their top line of Gaudreau, Lindholm, and Kachuk. But yeah, I mean, there, there's players coming up. You've got Ruzichka, who's on an ELC, but he's also soon to be an RFA. You've got an excellent young goaltender in Dustin Wolf, who is having a tremendous season in the AHL, and so are the Stockton Heat, for that matter. And you still have some pieces down there, like Yuso Valamacki, They're not in a terrible spot, but at some point, some of these players are going to have to go. I mean, again, we're always going to point to Mr. Lucic as one of those that should probably not be there, but I'm fascinated to see what happens. Calgary looks like they could make a push for that Western Conference title this year, although very contested with teams like Minnesota and Colorado in the West, to say the least. So I don't know. I I don't know what's going to happen, but my gut says Johnny Gaudreau is walking somewhere else. They are they're going to elevate Mangiapani to that top line. He sh- he should fit nicely in that line. He's a very nice player for them. And then I think they'll look at ways to relieve some of that cap, maybe by trading away draft picks.
0: Well, the one thing that the teams at the bottom of the cap friendly cap list have that's really uh really good for them right now is cap space. It's very, very valuable. You look at teams like the senators, the sabers, the red wings, the predators. Now I don't see the red wings taking on any contracts at the deadline, but a team like Buffalo, a team like Arizona, you know, if, if the price is right, I could absolutely see them taking on some contracts and getting a lot of assets in return. So this, this trade deadline is going to be very interesting Mac with so many teams so close against the salary cap and so many teams needing to make some moves to either reassign players coming this off season or improve their team and make a cup run. It's very, very interesting because in, over the past few years, when the cap was consistently going up, you and I would always mention a couple of teams here and there that were right up against the cap, but you look on like cap friendly, for example, and over two thirds of these teams, Mac, are really, really close against the cap. You know, they have a million dollars or less in cap space. And, you know, a million dollars in the NHL, even two million is not a lot of space to work with.
1: Yeah. And one more team I quickly want to mention here, because I have heard some news or speculation, what have you, regarding them is the Dallas Stars. And they have been on a good run lately. Jake Ottinger has been very good. That first line has been good. They've been getting some scoring from other sources as well, which I'm hearing that the Dallas stars are not planning on trading Pavelski or Klingberg because of the spot they're in right now. Not because they're not only trying to make the playoffs, but apparently the team and the ownership really needs that revenue due to COVID and the losses that they've suffered. So I don't know if they're going to be very active at the deadline, you may risk losing a guy like Pavelski in the summer, but it sounds like unless things really go south for them real quick, they're going to hang on to those guys. So we speculated about Klingberg, maybe do a team like Carolina or Washington. It sounds like Klingberg is not going anywhere. And it sounds like Joe Pavelski is also staying. So something to watch for there. Absolutely. You mentioned Dallas and the spot they're in.
0: They have gone on a bit of a run recently. One thing that's really worth mentioning with Dallas, you and I have mentioned it before with Florida and their ridiculous home road split, but Dallas has a really good home road split too 17, 7, and 1 at home, 10, 13, and 1 on the road. So if they can get that road record a little better, they're only a couple points out of a wild card spot at the moment. Of course, it's a it's a real tight race here between Anaheim, LA, and Nashville for those two wild card spots. Plus, you have to include Dallas in there. So. Certainly ownership sees a playoff opportunity here. Dallas definitely has the pieces for it. You and I have mentioned it before though, you know, is the depth going to step up here? Cause they need that depth to be consistent and continue to step up if they want to take one of those two wild card spots.
1: All right. Let's have a good discussion about some players that are having really good seasons or breakout seasons that just aren't getting the attention they deserve. Shall we? Absolutely, and uh, I, I want to leave this one off, Mac, because
0: uh, I don't think he's getting nearly as much attention as he should. And I know I'm definitely biased in this as an Ottawa fan, but from watching Tim Stutzel over the past forty eight hours, I, I gotta say Tim Stutzel is having a really good year. And I, I know he's not blowing anyone out of the water. He's not gonna get a call or no nomination or anything like that. But from what I'm seeing with Tim Stutzel here in Ottawa, Mac. He, he, he seems to finally be uh, starting to trend towards the player we thought he was going to be. He's been scoring. I think he's on a three-game goal-scoring streak right now. He's, I believe he's now leading the team in points, or he's up there with it. Yeah, he's got 26 points in 48 games. And I, I think it's important to mention with Tim Stoetzel, Mac, because I've mentioned it before, but Tim Stoetzel, the first half of the season – he wasn't getting nearly as many points as you think he would. And you know, I'm not a big fan of the advanced analytics. It's never been my big thing, but when you look at the advanced analytics, it showed that the expected goals for Tim Stutzel is way higher than what he was getting. And he seems to finally be able to be potting those goals. He's passing a little less. He's getting a little more greedy and he's, Bearing his scoring opportunities at the moment. And he might be on a little run right now, but from what I've seen from the start of the season to now, Mac, even though the stats may not fully show it, he's looking a lot more confident out there. His skating's a lot better. His shooting has been really good. He's been robbed more times than I can count. And I really do think, you know, with a little more development, some healthy players around him, I I would say Tim Stutzel is one of those guys that hasn't broken out completely yet. But I I think he needs to be one of those guys that you keep a close eye on, especially going into next year in his final year of his entry-level contract with some healthy players around him and another year of experience under his belt. So Tim Stutzel has to lead it off for me here, Mac, because he's, he's had a really good year, even if the stats don't show it. And people haven't been talking about him nearly as much as he would if he was getting those goals that the advanced stats say he should.
1: No doubt. He's a dynamic player, and I think he's really starting to utilize all those skills he has with the speed, the drive, being able to create plays when there's not a shot there. Really smart player, improving his defensive play. I've noticed it, too. I already mentioned Lindholm briefly. Everybody knows we're big on him. He's an excellent two-way player. But what about Tage Thompson? I mean, he had a hat trick yesterday. He has 19 goals and 37 points. And this guy has probably one of the best releases in the NHL, in my opinion. He, and remember, he's, he's a big man, too. This player, to me, and it, it has been a, a bit of a delay in the payoff for the Ryan O'Reilly trade because it really hasn't paid off at all <laughs> until <laughs> now. But boy, if this kid continues to develop, and he's now in his uh, mid-20s almost you've got a player here. And we mentioned Alex Tuck and Peyton Krebs and even Jeff Skinner's having a good year. Buffalo's building a little something here, okay? Slowly but surely, they've got something here.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, Tage Thompson has had a a really good year, especially uh, from where he was to where he is now. He's certainly developing. You know, late bloomers still exist in today's NHL, Mac. I know fans and GMs, in today's league expect these guys to come onto the league at 18, 19, 20 and light it up. But there are still guys like Thompson that needed some more time to develop. And you know, if they if I'm a GM Mac, sure you'd love you would have loved him to hit the ground running right away when you acquire him. But you know, if he's gonna start potting goals like he has at age 24 through the rest of his career, I certainly won't complain.
1: Yeah, exactly. And on to another couple of guys here for the Detroit Red Wings. We talked about Moritz Sider a little bit, but I don't think people really appreciate how good this guy is because when you look at a player like Victor Hedman, a lot of people forget that he came into the league. He wasn't really ready. He had to develop in the NHL over his first few seasons, and then he really started to take off. With this Moritz Sider kid, I mean, he's a rookie this year. Yeah, he played in the AHL last year, but the things he does for a kid, a rookie, are just incredible. If you watch him on the penalty kill, he basically hangs onto the puck in the offensive or defensive zone and doesn't let anybody touch him. He's got a rocket of a shot. He's smart. And remember when Stevie Eiserman surprised everyone when he picked this guy? Well, guess what? Stevie Heiserman certainly knew what he was doing and Dylan Larkin as well, having a terrific season now has 50 or more points in four of his last five years, consistently improving defensively. And I think a guy that can be in that sulky conversation this year. So a couple of red wings I wanted to mention as well.
0: Yeah. I'm glad you brought up cider because he's quietly had a really good year. As you mentioned, you know, 30 assists, he's leading the red wings in that category and he looked really, really good. He, he's looking like he he still needs some development. You know, he's quite young. As you mentioned, he's only a rookie and he's not quite there yet, Mac, but uh, his confidence is growing. His experience is growing. And I, I think that give it a year or two. And when this Red Wings team is pushing for a playoff spot again, which based on what Stevie Y has been able to do with the Red Wings, shouldn't. I think that the league will know his name very, very soon. Every every casual fan of the league, that is.
1: Oh, absolutely. If I'm a young Red Wings fan, he's making me think real hard about getting his jersey right now. And I just, I love watching this guy play. The headman comparisons are out there, and I think they're valid because he's a big mobile defenseman, great skater, excellent defensively. And I just, I can't believe how good he is for a rookie, but... The other guys I wanted to mention here are Michael Bunting for the Toronto Maple Leafs. This is sort of a little-known guy who's kind of a throwback. And remember when the Leafs lost Zach Hyman to the Oilers, who paid him a lot more than the Leafs were prepared to. He's sort of a similar player, not quite as good defensively as Hyman, but he's a guy that goes to the front of the net. He's got good hand-eye coordination, and he's been saddled on that top line with Mitch Marner and Austin Matthews most of the year. He's got 16 goals and 33 points. This is a really good player that, again, nobody really talks about on the Leafs. Everybody talks about the big guys and Morgan Riley and Jack Campbell, and rightfully so. But how about Michael Bunting this year?
0: Yeah, he just gets overshadowed. I really do think, Mac, that if he were on pretty much any other team, he'd be talked about a whole lot more, which is unfortunate. you know. But when you're on a team like the Toronto Maple Leafs, it does happen. And it's just the reality of playing on a team with so much star power. I'm glad you brought him up because as you mentioned, he's a bit of a throwback. He goes to the front of he makes plays happen in, in close. And I've always liked those types of players. They're invaluable, especially come playoff time, Mac. That's how you score goals in the playoffs. Exactly what he's doing right now. And come playoff time, he's going to be a critical, critical player for the Leafs because he can score in that area and being on that top line as well he could be the X factor for the Leafs in the playoffs, Mac. And I think there's a real good chance of that.
1: Yeah, for sure. And just a couple other guys I want to mention, they do play for the same team. Aaron Eckblad last year suffered a brutal leg injury. Remember he was stretchered off. He missed the entire rest of the season and the playoffs, but he's come back really strong this year. Excellent season for him. And another guy in Florida that just flies under the radar for how good he is, Jonathan Huberto. Trails McDavid by one point in the scoring race. Just another banner season for Jonathan Huberto.
0: Absolutely. You and I have talked about Huberto in the past. He's such a good scorer. He's a really, really good player. In really all aspects of his game at this point, Mac, he's he's in the prime of his career. And it's a shame he doesn't get talked about nearly as much as guys like McDavid. And don't get me wrong. I I like talking about McDavid too. Because McDavid is really, really good. But I think that Florida and what they've done this year, especially with Huberto and Eckblad, you know, those guys are really leading their team right now. And they're a big reason as to why they're top in the Atlantic. They are guys that make players around them better. And they are a huge part of this team. And it's really great to see both of them having good years.
1: All right. Any other topics we wanted to mention today?
0: I don't think so. Of course, the NHL trade deadline is coming up and you and i will have more oh hey
1: hold on back up we did have a trade didn't we
0: oh yes we did (laughs) (laughs) gotta gotta rewind
1: it here don't we mac yeah Ilya labushkin and ryan dezingle one of your old favorites headed to the toronto maple leafs in exchange for nick Ritchie and a conditional pick it's essentially a salary dump. If you're looking for some insight on Labushkin, he's basically a pure defensive defenseman in the mold of a Jonas Brodine. Brings absolutely no offense whatsoever, but very strong at eliminating chances and defending in front of his net and in his own zone. That is good news. I don't think it's enough for the Leafs. You know, right now they're headed for a first round matchup with the Lightning. Good luck with that. <laughs> but yeah, that, that was the big trade that went down in the nhl and more Mm -hmm. to come yeah okay well that just about does it for today's show i'll let you finish off
0: yeah thank you Mac, and and thank you as always for listening to center ice as always we are brought to you by the national podcast network hope you enjoyed the olympics hope you're enjoying the hockey right now and as always for mac i'm matt enjoy the games guys